0: Hello, hello, my fellow sovereigns, and welcome back to another episode of The Princess and the Bee, where today we are diving into the bee of, yes, business, and it just so happens to be the business of making love, because that is the business that my guest, luxury matchmaker and founder of Luma Matchmaking, April Davis, is in. April and I met back in the beginning of 2020 at Tony Robbins' Business Mastery, and we immediately hit it off. And what I love about April is that she has this deep listening skill set. And as you will pick up from this episode, you will see how that skill set has not only served her as a matchmaker, but as a seven-figure business owner. And in this episode, some things that really struck me that I think will be very poignant for you to listen for is how that skill set really serves, especially when it comes to building and growing a team, as April has so expertly done in order to build a seven figure matchmaking business. And another skill set to listen for is April's innate ability to take action quickly and her drive for action that has really grown her company so far and so fast, which is why Luma Luxury Matchmaking was ranked number 625 on the 2020 Inc. 5000 fastest growing companies. So not only can April help you find love fast and find the right love, She also knows how to grow a company pretty darn fast as well. So get ready to get some action, pun completely intended, and dive into this episode with my guest, April Davis.
1: Welcome to the Princess and the Bee Podcast, the place to be to build your empire as queen of your body, business, and life. I'm your host, Kimberly Spencer, founder of crownyourself.com, and I'm an award-winning coach, Amazon best-selling author, and multi-passionate entrepreneur. Each week, I give you the systems, strategies, and success stories to help you master your mindset, communicate with ease, and triple your productivity so you make the income and the impact you deserve. Imagine this podcast as your weekly spark of inspiration as you take it to the next level with all the bees of your life, body, business, bank account, boys, and babies. Let's make
2: it rain. April, I am so excited to be chatting with you on The Princess and the Bee. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. So you have built a seven-figure business, Making Love. Can you tell us, when you first started this business, did you think, oh, I'm going to build this million-dollar business?
3: Oh, absolutely. I knew from the beginning that it was going to be national if not international. I actually did think that I would go international and um, just keep growing it and you know helping bring love to the masses.
0: So what is it that got you started in matchmaking?
3: Yeah well when I was 16 I actually put together my first couple that ended up getting married and I've always had a knack for it and you know introductions are one of the easiest ways that you can really impact somebody's life in a positive way. And so I was always a matchmaker of sorts, whether it was, you know, of course, romantic or business or friendships, I would meet somebody and I'm like, Oh, you have to meet this person. And I was always connecting people yeah. and, you know, you really can help people by just doing that small favor, you know, an introduction. And then, you know, well, fast forward, 2010, I actually developed the company and, Initially, I just started doing it for fun and I was building out my database of individuals that I could match with each other and, um, you know, creating processes, my backgrounds in process improvement. So I was developing processes and systems and everything and then, you know, started building it up Then started taking on actual paying clients eventually and then um, started hiring employees and now we're a nationwide firm throughout the U.S., and we were actually an Inc. 5000 company last year as well, Yeah, so pretty exciting.
2: Congratulations on that. I saw that on your Instagram profile, and I literally, I cheered so hard
3: for you. Yay. Thank you. Yeah, it was very exciting. It was a big milestone for us, so we're excited to have made it.
2: So what is the difference between working with a matchmaking company, especially one like yours, like a luxury Mm -hmm. matchmaking company, versus all of the dating sites that seem to be out there, like a matchmaker versus an algorithm? Can you explain the difference as to what really works?
3: (laughs) Well, first of all, it's kind of the people behind the scenes that are running everything. They have very different focuses. So like with an app and, a, and um, all the things that are online, they're very much, you know, technology users, you know, getting people recurring recurring revenue and stuff and getting um, new user, users signed up. Whereas with Matchmakers, we're all about the clients and we really have a concierge type of service and that we get to know our clients. We actually meet with them. We have that one-on-one. You know, we see everybody that we match together. We bet everyone that we match together and um, we will actually plan the dates. We guarantee that they are going to meet someone. It's not just you know for entertainment purposes, which is really what the apps are for, you know, getting that little shot of an, an endorphin rush when somebody likes you <laughs> or <laughs> wants to match with you. And, you know, we're about helping people to find serious committed relationships, you know, not just a bunch of likes or pen pal or some attention, you know, it's for us, our clients are typically busy professionals, executives, a lot of business owners, you know, people that don't have time necessarily to devote to, you know, running another app on their phone or messaging back and forth all day long, you know, but they want to find that right person for them. And so that's what we do. And the matchmakers that work for me, they have anywhere from five to 28 years of experience in the industry so there are a lot of them i have on my team are lifelong matchmakers and they're very dedicated very passionate to helping people find that person
2: what is the skill set that you need as a matchmaker is there an intuitive piece to this or is it a skill set that can be taught
3: You know, it's, there's definitely a lot of intuition that goes into play. There's also a lot of just working in the industry long enough. You start to see what people want and what they're looking for, what's going to be a challenge for some people, but you also have to be confident enough to be able to push back on clients that are being unreasonable in their expectations you know a lot of people think that you know they go to a matchmaker and they can just you know it's like going to Amazon and ordering whatever you want you know ordering a pizza with every topping that you want and that's not how relationships work you know it's about connection and chemistry and you know you just because you find somebody that checks all the boxes doesn't mean that you're going to have a good relationship and so we do a lot with coaching our clients as well because oftentimes they just need to have that their sister basically to bounce things off of them and um give them the honest and honest feedback that they need. <laughs> and so um, we will be there to tell them, hey, you need to get your hair cut. <laughs> let's go, let's go shopping, let's update the wardrobe and you know. <laughs> yeah, well, there's some of that, or like, hey, you're you know, you're being really unrealistic. You, you say you're looking for this, but you also said you want this, and usually those don't go together. So like, let's let's um, talk about you know what we can do for you, and you know what do you ultimately want? You know if you want a bonding relationship, you know a long lasting relationship, you know the color of their hair isn't necessarily going to be indicative of that happening. You know and everybody has taste, and we can accommodate that, but we try to get people to be open minded because you know what's the definition of insanity? doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So we try to get people to try something new and do something different and get out of their, their pattern and their routine. Because oftentimes, you know, if they were doing everything right, maybe they wouldn't need our service to begin with. And so, you know, and there's, I mean, there's some people are, a lot of our clients are just, they're amazing people and they're just really picky, you know, and they don't necessarily need the coaching piece of it, but they just, they need to be introduced to the kind of person and have the, that's what we do. We have a network of individuals that our clients are typically looking for.
2: And do you, because you have a nationwide network, if you have a client in Los Angeles who there's a perfect match or somebody who you think could be a really qualified match in like New York or Florida, how do, how do you navigate that distance and that possibility?
3: Yeah. And that is a big part of it too, that we are, um, you know, some people say, Oh, I want somebody that, you know, is basically in my neighborhood and okay, well, what if that perfect person, you know, exists in, you know, is an hour away or five hours away, you know, do you really want to pass that, up, that opportunity up to meet her or meet him? And, you know, oftentimes they don't, and especially in this digital society that we're in, yeah. especially currently a lot more people are, leaning towards meeting someone that's maybe far away and and meeting virtually and then going from there and now so many people are working from home so they're mobile they can move they can be anywhere and um, able to work from anywhere so it's created a lot of advantages too even with um, there's a lot of disadvantages of course of COVID but (laughs) there's been some good things that have come out of it and that people are able to have the flexibility and can move if they want to
2: and have you noticed that with your clients as more clients are apt to move if they find that perfect partner?
3: Absolutely. Yeah. We all the time, we, that's one of our, the main questions we ask people is, are you open to meeting someone out of state? Are you open to moving out of state? You know, all those kinds of things to understand their geographic limitations. And I'm seeing more and more people that are open and stuff. So
2: that's good. Yeah. That's amazing. So as you were building your business, what was the stage that you went through to go from solopreneur into having a team into a million dollar business? What was the journey and who did you, who did you become along the way?
3: Well, I was actually working. um, I had a corporate position still um, at the time when I started the company and Initially, so, you know, like I said, I was doing it for fun and I started building it up and I started hiring people and I still had my, my full-time day job, if you will. And I would go and meet with people that were just going into my database. I'd have back-to-back meetings, five meetings in a row, and they were half-hour each, you know, just, you know, <laughs> at a coffee shop. And I initially hired a virtual assistant who she happened to live in, I think, Detroit And so um, she would do a lot of the scheduling for me. So I started outsourcing little parts of the, of what I didn't need to, I didn't need to do necessarily. And then the next step, the next person I hired was someone that could also do some of the matchmaking and some of the, someone that can bring on the new clients. And then I did hire somebody that would do marketing. And then eventually that's when I left my corporate position. So I had three full-time people when I left. And then so it was the four of us initially when I went hundred percent into, into Luma and then just kept growing it from there. And, you know, initially I had people in every location that we were in. Um, I had, they were part-time and Eventually I realized that wasn't necessary and it didn't really work that well. It's hard and it's pretty hard to manage people virtually to begin with. And then if you have people that are virtual and it's their part-time gig, so they probably don't care that much, you know, then that becomes even harder and, that's just one. I'm very, you know, how they say um, hire slow and fire fast. And like, I'm very picky (laughs) and this is my baby. So I want to make sure that anyone that is working for me are they're doing a good job and taking care of our clients ultimately. So I just realized that wasn't working and then was able to eventually just start hiring people that had background industry experience or really relevant experience, um, that, helped because everybody was like oh being a matchmaker would be so fun and it sounds glamorous and they've seen tv shows and everything but it's it is and it's also a lot of work it's also it takes a lot of dedication and um I don't want somebody that thinks you know this is just going to be fun because I'm really particular on how everything is done (laughs) and so they have to we have to make sure that they're that things are being done Correctly for our clients and they're taken care of ultimately. So that's why it's been really helpful to have people that have related, relevant um, experience before they come into working with us.
2: Yeah. Speaking of TV shows, I know that you have been a celebrity matchmaker and been on a few TV shows, including, (laughs) I think it was Real Housewives of Orange County for your matchmaking skill sets. What has been, in your experience, the difference between dealing with celebrities and dealing with the executives and navigating those client needs?
3: You know, I, want, I mean, there's, it's not entirely all that different, quite frankly. My experience with working with Sharon, for, sure, for example, who is on the Real Housewives of the OC, she is just a normal person like everybody else. And she was quite pleasant and I, I enjoyed working with her. And she was actually probably easier than work, working with some of the other people that I've worked with in the past and stuff. Because she's just, she's actually, she's a very, she was open, very open-minded, like has an, had an open heart. And whereas some people are really particular and won't pick people apart and she's not that way. So I think that really makes a difference um, I always say, like, you have to go in with an open mind, an open heart. If you go in and you are already married to this like, checklist of what you're looking for, then you're not going to be successful. Because even if we introduce you to that checklist, chances of you two having you know, a connection are very slim to none. You might have an initial attraction connection and then it will probably fizzle out. So it's really about matching people based on their core values first and then um, going from there. So that's what the people with that mindset are all different backgrounds because we are living in an Amazon society where (laughs) amazon.com what society where we're so used to getting whatever we want and ordering it up. And then we start having these expectations of our partners as such.
2: So how have you noticed the the qualities that have served you in matchmaking, like matching people with their core values and being able to chuck the checklist and instead cultivate those relationships. How have you noticed those skills to serve you in business and in growing how, have,
3: how have those skills served um I would say, you know, being intuitive and reading, able to read people has definitely helped with everything because you're you're always dealing with people, whether it's your clients or somebody that works for you or a vendor or whatever it is. I mean there's there's It's all about relationships at the end of the day. So being able to read situations, read people, I think that is definitely helpful. And sometimes it can be painful (laughs) almost because I can be in different social situations and I recognize character traits or things that are going on that, and it's interesting because my husband is a divorce attorney. And he's also very intuitive. So he picks up on a lot of these things as well. And it's, well, you know, you've probably heard people that are, are empaths. You know, they feel things and stuff. So sometimes that happens and you almost have to put up your blinders or try to because you can be impacted by other people's negativity. And so because you feel it so much because you you, you can get up and and it's like I'm like, I wish I didn't know sometimes. <laughs> so, <laughs> it would probably be, it'd probably be easier when they say it, like ignorance is bliss, right?
2: So when I mean, as you were building your business and growing from those stages, what was what was the greatest challenge that you really faced?
3: You know, it comes down to being the right people on the bus. I think that was all along that has been the biggest challenge. You know, I, again, my backgrounds and processes and systems. And so I'll kick that down. I got that. That was really a big focus of mine, especially early on. Mm-hmm. And, and also the marketing stuff, those are all, like, okay, if you do this, then this will happen. But finding getting and getting the right people on the team to, to fulfill, fulfill the roles that I need them to be in. It was, it's it's been an ongoing process and I feel like right now I have an amazing team. They're all very tenured and all very positive. I just brought in um, a lady who is my right hand and she's the VP of operations. So she's going to be overseeing everyone and doing a lot of just great things and um, just helping me with a lot of different things. So I'm super excited to have her on the team as well. And it's just helping, it's bringing everything full circle. And we're finally at that point. So that's exciting. It's very exciting, but I would say that's the, always the, the biggest stressor and the hardest thing is, you know, have, are, is people, you know, and, and then the reason why is because ultimately those are the people that are taking care of the most important thing, which are your clients. And, you know, I want to make sure they're, they're taken care of. That's that's our priority always, but you have to have the right people in place to be able to do that. So
2: looking at at matchmaking and, and the the future of the industry, do you see it going into more of the personalized custom experience that you create or is it just a completely different customer who's going through the apps who wouldn't even be interested in matchmaking?
3: The older population, they're less likely to do apps but as you know, they start to age and there's more people coming up so more and more people are using the apps and there's no, it's not taboo anymore. You know, When I started the company, it was still a little bit taboo and now it's very mainstream. Our clients, a lot of times they don't want their profile online. If you're a good looking woman, you're getting a thousand messages a day from weirdos. And if you're, you know, an awesome guy, how are you going to stand out? So that's that's always a challenge for people. And um, and of course you can't predict who's for real if they're, you know, they're everyone's profile pictures have, have been edited and you don't you can't read their personality. So it's just it's a lot, it can be a lot of work and pretty frustrating. And then of course you add in intentions because everyone has different intentions. And so trying to find somebody that aligns with your intentions you know, and people will say whatever they need to in order to do what they want. So that's why I think the matchmaking service is really helpful because it just streamlines everything. We create a pipeline of potential matches for our clients. We bet on average about 50 people per client. So it's like we're going on those 50 first days for our clients so they don't have to. And then we set them up. So we're guaranteeing that they're actually meeting people. And it's not just, you know, swiping all day long. But I see the future with especially younger generation them needing more coaching around social skills because you see it time and time again where they don't have them. They're not developing them. They're in a relationship with their phones and they're not able to have conversations. They lack certain just manners and general social skills. And the other thing that I always talk about is the fact that we don't we don't learn any of those things in school, and we don't learn about relationships in school, and um, it's, it takes people, you know, taking a direct effort and reading books or talking to a counselor, and when it comes to relationships, most people just learn on the go and they kind of bounce around and, oh, that didn't let's try it again, and then they think that they know everything there is to know just because they've, they've been in relationships and they're not really looking for self development or self-improvement. And there is so much information that would be really helpful for people if they would just you know, put in the effort. And that's where I think that the matchmakers and dating coaches are going to be really useful for people is helping them to see some of those and learn some of those kinds of skills that are going to be useful in developing relationships.
2: Yeah, I had a conversation with a 15 year old and I watched the interaction when he was very clearly interested in another 15 year old, who was actually in my NLP practitioner certification. And this girl was very well-educated, well, well well-communicated. She wasn't on her phone. And just the, the the difference in the ability to communicate was
3: the gap was huge. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was at a networking event one time and you know, (laughs) pre-COVID, and this young lady, she was a financial advisor, and she, you know, and there wasn't a lot of people there, and there weren't a lot of women, so I started chatting with her, and I was, I was really holding the conversation, asking the questions, and really, like, trying to draw out any sort of uh, conversation, and finally, the event started, so I could, because I'm like, this was so painful, it was horrible, um, to try to talk to her, and um, we had exchanged cards, and then of course, when I got back to my desk later on that day, she wanted to meet so she, so we could d- discuss, you know, me working with her and <laughs> like, you missed your, your shot. <laughs> like yeah, the last thing I want to do is go through another conversation with you. And especially, you know, somebody that's in that kind of role, it's a sales role and you really want to know how to have conversation with people. So in, I mean, relationships are everything and everywhere I remember in corporate America, it wasn't about how hard you worked or how much you knew. It was who you knew. And that's how that's who got promoted, were the people that were the good networkers that built the relationships that you know stroked the right egos and <laughs> leadership. And so it wasn't necessarily the ones that had their head down and you know got stuff done. It's important to have those skills.
2: So the relationship building skills and 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 you translated those into your business. What were the greatest ones that you were able to translate into growing your business from six to seven figures? What were the most powerful relationships that you were, that you cultivated to make your success inevitable?
3: I don't know if so much relationships in, in particular, because I mean, every client relationship is important, right? And I, you know, especially early on, I was doing everything. I was the matchmaker. I was setting up the dates. I was the first person they talked to. And I'm the one there texting. And I'm like, here, tell me what you're wearing on the date. Let's figure it out. And, um, you know, I'm introducing them to a hairstylist. I'm doing all these things to help them. But it's really, um, I think the biggest thing is communication skills, right? And I'm still not the best communicator when it comes to, especially in details, ask my husband, but I think being able to communicate, to put in, we have processes for everything to make sure communication happens and we're clear and transparent and, and people understand what's going on. I think that that's the most important thing when you're dealing with people, like they want to, they need to understand what's going on with clear on your communication. And then even amongst the team too, we need to make sure, okay, who's on first? Right? <laughs> that sort of thing, especially when there's there's handouts, you know, we're working as a team to match these clients. So I mean we all need to have that transparency and be clear on who's doing what.
2: What are the big communication breakdowns that you typically see that are the bottlenecks both for personal relationships and for professional?
3: You know, I think a lot of things, well, it's just lack thereof. Okay, so for example, you know, especially in the Midwest where I'm from, we have a tendency to be stoic and just say, oh, everything's fine, everything's fine until it blows up and it's not fine. And people would call that passive aggressive as well. And so not communicating what your needs are, what you're feeling, what you want, just holding it in and pretending like, oh, everything's fine and, you know, um, sweeping it under the rug. My husband has a great analogy. He's the divorce attorney. So he would say, okay, a lot of times it's not one thing that brings people into his office. It's just the compilation of many, many things building up over the years, you know, and it's like a house. So say your house gets messy and you start filling it up with junk, like it's a hoarding, (laughs) becomes a hoarder's house. (laughs) it's, you know, more and more filled up. Eventually you got to move out of the house because there's no more space. And that's when people lead to divorce. You know, there's so there's so much animosity and resentment built up and they haven't taken care of, they haven't cleaned up the house as they've gone along and their trust issues. And I think a lot of our society, we're just, we're anti, you know, getting any kind of help, counseling and addressing things. Like If you go through a divorce, that's a huge deal. You should probably talk to a therapist, you should, you know, or if you have any, you know, issues in your relationship, it doesn't hurt to talk to a therapist. And if the one that you talk to you don't like, find a different one, you know, and keep trying ones until you find someone that is a good fit and is helpful for you. Because we all have trauma, we all have issues that, you know, a lot of this stuff stems from our childhood and from our, our past. And so you need to go and address it and understand it. So then the more you understand it, then the better you can show up in your relationship with your partner. So I think, you know, that's a that's a big problem because people have issues from past relationships that keep bubbling up in their current relationships and it's not the person that you're in the relationship with. It's not their fault, you know, it, that you have this sensitivity because you've, you know, been wronged or whatever happened in the past. It's, you know, it's on you to address it. It's on you to deal with it. So you have to be careful not to put it on them. And I think most people don't recognize that and they, they um, aren't working through that the way that they should be, you know, they just have this tainted view on life. So,
2: yeah, it's so fascinating. I always say that my husband was my experiment with honesty and candor because I just was, I was so raw and completely honest and candid with what I wanted and I did it from a space of like, I didn't want to waste his time. I respected him being 19 years older than I am. And having gone through what he went through with his first marriage, I was like, I don't want to waste your time. If I'm not the right person for you, this is what I want in a relationship. This is what I wanted a marriage. I wanted kids. And I was very okay. upfront and honest with, with those things, but Right. I agree that that sometimes the the things that get lost in translation like just a couple of days ago my husband and I were discussing about a, a word that for me doesn't seem doesn't seem it's ambiguous like, yeah it's ambiguous. <laughs> it's ambiguous. there was, there was really no there there's it was and ironically the word was trigger and my husband being from a different generation the word mm-hmm. triggered means like an emotional you're at an emotional red zone like so you get triggered and you become super emotional but had we not had that conversation and it was just about around a word like one word yeah so so often so many things can be lost in translation and I knew that it was it was his translation of the word triggered my translation was different so it was like speaking two completely different languages and we had to navigate that you know if one person's speaking Swahili and one person's speaking Mandarin they're not going to understand each other so you have Mm -hmm. to break down to, to find that
3: understanding yeah, I always say there's three sides to every date <laughs> you know, <laughs> because we, you know, there's conversation that takes place and then we fill in the gaps with our past experiences. So we have very different perspectives of what went down and, you know, what you're talking about too, with just trigger there. Um, I talk about this a lot, how word that we call them word minds. So if somebody says something, it triggers <laughs> an emotional trigger. <laughs> in someone else you know a certain word might trigger them and um they take it one way very differently than how it is meant to be taken and that's where we as matchmakers we end up saving a lot of relationships because people they they don't they don't communicate you know they're they're just like well you know i'll we'll get feedback afterwards and yeah i liked i liked him or i liked her but you know, they said this, and I don't know about that. And, you know, they're overanalyzing it or reading it but probably the wrong way. And, you know, us being, we're representing our clients. A lot of times we know the backstory and we can kind of explain things and kind of smooth it over and then bring them back together. And then, you know, the more they get to know each other, then the more they like each other most of the time. So that um, that, that way they get over their ordered minds <laughs> and realize, you know, you just have to like really understand what people's intentions are. And typically people have good intentions. They're not trying to hurt you. And sometimes um, we can be overly sensitive about <laughs> things. Uh- Certain word
2: minds. I love that terminology of, of word minds because there there are some words that just will trigger that larger emotional response. And it's just because that word means something different. And we all have create different meanings to mean something for ourselves.
3: Right. Exactly. Yeah, it's quite interesting.
2: <laughs> so I have to ask, do you have you ever had to refer a client to your husband?
3: Only for child support issue, but I know that were divorced or wanting to get divorced, and they needed him. I have received some of his, so that's nice. But um, his experience has been really helpful for me to be able to talk to people because I you know I understand a lot more about prenups. I understand what how to deal with your ex. So you know, sometimes or like even my husband's pretty. Pretty stylish so i'll <laughs> talk to him like okay I'm dealing, i have this 55 year old client you know here's a picture of him like where should we go shopping for him you know or what, what should he wear and my husband will go on pinterest and like, put together if it helped me to put together ideas and stuff so that's pretty cool but what has been really applicable and really helpful is really for my clients and how they deal with their excess when they have kids together and creating boundaries yeah. and stuff because he is a divorce attorney. He's dealing with that constantly. So I'm, I always hear it We're, you know, oftentimes we're around each other when we're talking to our clients and I'll hear how he's coaching his clients on how to deal with their exes and how to have those boundaries in place and how to do the kids handoff and all those kinds of things. And then I can, therefore, you know, I have heard it great advice, you know, (laughs) and then I can relay that to my clients as well. And, you know, I have even, I had a client that she was a psychologist and then her ex was a therapist and he was also a narcissist. And so um, here I am coaching her on how to deal with that. And that I thought was interesting, <laughs> you know, and then I'm um, here, this is, you know, her background, her psychology is, you know, her, her background, but, you know, dealing with when, when it's your own thing and dealing with, with X and, you know, it's different. Like the stuff that she deals with is more uh, mental illness and. Um, severe mental illness whereas this is you know what relationships it's very it's a different area so sometimes you just need that experience someone that has experience you know to be able to give you a little insight.
2: Or a neutral third party I mean sometimes no matter how much of an expert you are like fixing the relationship from there's even if you're an expert in your field the personal hurts the personal meanings that you've attached in that relationship they they can sometimes cloud that that professionalism so that neutral third party is always of of benefit i found right so as you're building your business when was there ever a point that you got really stuck that you felt stuck or overwhelmed all the
3: time, <laughs> all the time.
2: And how how did you get through that?
3: Well, you know, it was around, typically it was around times where I was looking at, you know, we grew really fast in that our marketing grew and we had a lot of people reaching out to us, but didn't have the team necessarily in place to be able to handle all that outreach. Um, So that was overwhelming, of course. You know, there was, I worked, I worked my but I was working like five in the morning till 10 o'clock at night for years, you know, trying to keep up with, with people. And I wasn't, you know, I wasn't able to, even people that were, you know, interested in becoming clients, I wasn't able to follow up with them and stuff. And so um, that was always you know, overwhelming and stuff. And it's really, it comes down to getting the right team in place and they were able to help with that. It's automating certain things, trying different things. You know, figuring out what works. And um, for example, I ended up hiring somebody that would just do the intake of the individuals that were reaching out to us that were interested in the service, and they would do an initial screening of those people to see, you know, if they're serious, if they were viable potential clients, and then from there, they would I would set them up to meet with one of the matchmakers on the team. Because, you know, our, it was just a, we didn't have the capacity to take on all those people and stuff. We wanted to make sure that it makes sense, of course. So, and again, you know, it's creating different processes, different systems, automation, using millions of tools that are out there that you can use for automation. And yeah, we're, and we're constantly tweaking and trying different things too, getting feedback.
2: Yeah. Now, I know you're a pilot, you just uh, got your pilot's license and mm-hmm. you are actually, I believe the third pilot to be on this show now. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. How has, what? what is it about flying? Is, was that just an ambition of yours or what is it about flying that just was something that you just had to do?
3: Yeah, I have always wanted to, be, get my pilot's license and I actually took ground school twice when um, about 15 years ago and yeah so two different times I went through and did the actual classroom and um, had a training and then just never finished it because it is it's a huge undertaking but I think that really it has to do with my background you know I'm I'm from a small town I grew up as a tomboy riding motorcycles and snowmobiles racing actually both of them and love motorsports and so this is another fun toy I mean it's very um challenging toy to be able to be able to fly but it's yeah it's just it's a blast you know I talk to people that are professional commercial pilots, and they're like, yeah, I get paid to have fun, basically, and they're like, this is amazing, I get paid to do this, you know, and if, you know, if that's your thing, if you like, that kind of thing, it is, it's a blast, and I would say it's probably one of the, my favorite things to do, That one of my favorite hobbies that I've ever done, too. and, you know, it's challenging to your mind as well, which I think is great to learn new things and continuously trying to challenge yourself. So when COVID happened, I we slowed down and I had capacity to be able to pursue it. And so with flying, you're, what's interesting is it's not necessarily skills that, um, all the stuff you have to know because you have to be a meteorologist and a mechanic and you have to fly the thing. So <laughs> it's not like you're really using anything, you're pulling from anything else in your background, or at least I am. I'm not because I'm not an engineer, I'm not a mechanic I'm in my background. And um, flying a plane is very different than like driving a car or some or motorcycle. <laughs> so there are different kinds of um, motor skills as well. So I think it was just fun to learn something new and it's amazing. I gotta go up and fly around and come back down. <laughs> so, It's pretty, it's just um, another fun challenge. And my next thing, um, I'm gonna continue on and continue learning um, different, getting different certifications with flying then I'll also want to learn how to sail. I have a couple languages, <laughs> or at least I need to be fluent in Spanish. That's my goal. One of these days, so there's, I'm just always trying to have a big bucket list. And I'm always trying to do different things and keep continuing to move forward. My, I just did this personality test and it's called a like, saboteurs. I think it, figuring out what your saboteurs are, it basically like seeing, these are the things that know are that might um some people might perceive as being a good thing but it's also something that can be difficult and cause anxiety and stuff but for me it's high achiever being restless and controlling well i mean those yeah it's pretty prevalent like these are what drive me to do all all the stuff that i do and stuff and it's, it's just my personality type so i'm not you're not gonna see me um scuba dive or climb a mountain. Those are not (laughs) mountain climbing and (laughs) scuba diving are not in my wheelhouse. Those are not things that I would enjoy.
2: (laughs) So no Everest base camp?
3: No, not.
2: Wow, that's on my list.
3: (laughs) Oh, maybe, maybe Rainier, but (laughs) not (laughs) Everest. (laughs) I'm good. I'm good.
2: Being the high achiever that you are and obviously loving a good challenge. How, how did that shape how you faced challenges in your business as you were growing it?
3: I think being resourceful is definitely important. Um, You know, a lot of people think they want to be entrepreneurs and there's a big difference between there's, you know, there's a lot of books around entrepreneurship and they talk about like entrepreneur versus the engineer. And a lot of people are engineers and think they want to be entrepreneurs, but they're really not. Um, and entrepreneurs are people that you know, take risks, they learn to their weaknesses, they try to um, you know build up their skills so they, they can be really well grounded. and um, there's a lot of really what the big thing that I'm mind is responsibility because you're responsible for all the people, all your clients, you're responsible for all the people that work for you and um, you have to be willing to take on that responsibility and risk therefore that goes along with, with any business. So I think that a lot of, I always go back to like really everything that I ever needed to know and learn. I had learned from working at this little cafe growing up as a waitress where I would be, I would work my butt off because I was the only waitress in the place and um, I had to, you know, so I learned really hard work ethic as well as Able, I was able to talk to anyone and everyone because you have a wide variety of personalities that would come through the door, whether it was the local loggers to, you know, cities that would come up and visit their second homes. And, you know, it's just a, a big variety. So being able to talk to anyone, that was definitely, in the end, um, that hard work I think is really important. But also I think, that again, it's resourcefulness, not taking no as an, as an answer I and mean, there's always a way and, um, it drives me absolutely crazy when people are like, no, it can't be done. I'm like, yeah, we'll <laughs> yeah, and watch me. <laughs> so like, that's, yep. that's not, I, mean, I just, I don't, I don't believe it <laughs> ever. One of our core
2: values is that we are warriors for possibility. So mm-hmm. having that can do attitude of like, even if someone says it can't be done, I'm like, fine, we'll find a way we'll find it. Yeah, so right.
3: absolutely.
2: Yep. Yeah. And I th- I think that there is that level of tenacity and, and I I've, I've seen that with you just loving that challenge and being able to face a challenge rather than it being a setback or feeling like it's it's leading to doom or failure or ruin but facing that challenge head on and then just driving full force into it and seeing the opportunity
3: that's inside. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, I think you hit the nail on that. <laughs> For sure.
2: So I would love to jump into a little bit of rapid fire, April. Are you ready? I am ready. <laughs> <laughs> Who is your favorite female character in a book or a movie and why?
3: Oh, well, <laughs> I just am thinking about the author of Lena and Cheryl. Because I don't know if that's what you mean. If that if you want, if you want fiction or you want fact, it could be. It can be any. Okay, she comes to mind because of just her tenacity, her hard work ethic, her doing everything. She's superwoman, and um, I think you know someone like that is very much. Um, I can definitely appreciate everything that she that she represents and what she's done and just been a big leader for her company at Facebook and then for all for a lot of other women entrepreneurs. So I it's somebody that we can look up to. Not that we all need to aspire to be, you know, that at that level or that extreme, but you know, she definitely broke a lot of glass ceilings and cleared the way we can see what's possible. Yeah. In a field like technology too, where there's mostly men. Right? Yeah.
2: Yeah, I love that book, the Lean In book. It was so inspiring for me Mm -hmm. to to read that and then you just claim your seat at the table. Like, to to, to claim it. Yeah, exactly. So what woman would you want to trade places with just for a day where you get to be in their body, see how they think, experience how they make decisions? Who would that be?
3: The person that comes to my mind is Beyonce, actually. So one thing that I have always admired about her is that her just undying work ethic and she is just still going at it. And she's been going out and singing and um full time since she was a teenager. And she doesn't stop. You know, so many different artists they'll, they'll come in and they have like one, you know, one hit wonders and they have a decent album and they disappear. Maybe they get two and they disappear. And they're like, oh, I got enough money not her. She keeps innovating. So if you
2: you were to have your success at twice the speed, how would you do it differently?
3: I would have found the people that, you know, to help me get there um, faster. And I probably would have reached out to, to get more advice and mentoring and help from others as well. I just... my entire life I've always been like oh I'll figure it out and like and I try it's basically trial and error and versus really going and seeking help and getting feedback from people I think I would I would do that more often because that could have saved me a lot of time and energy (laughs) so from other people but yeah
2: so what would you consider to be your kingdom
3: um well this business you know this is my baby <laughs> this is definitely my world but you know my it's my empire and basically that's what how I would my kingdom my empire that's how I would explain it
2: and what is the number one book recommendation that
3: you would give to um, yeah well it depends if you're an entrepreneur I would yeah. say I have to have just one <laughs> So you can get you can give multiple, we'll link to all of them. Um, okay. So traction is a big one that yep. you are, you know, or anything like rocket fuel and stuff. If you, depending on where your business is at and stuff too, that can be really helpful. Um, of course there's rich dad, poor dad. And then um email. I would say first and foremost, number one. Yeah. The email.
2: That's, that's the one of your lists that I have not read. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. That's traction, traction was a game changer. Traction, I love. I recommend that to all my clients. And Rich Dad, Poor Dad is just
3: amazing. It's Yeah. That one talks about mm-hmm. what I was just talking about, where you have the engineer. I think that's, that's the book that talks about the engineer versus the entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Or is it traction? I don't know. I get them mixed up. But anyway, I think those are all really good ones. So, I think okay. that
2: sounds like the e-myth because I've read yeah. Traction a few times and Traction, what I loved about Traction was the difference between the visionary and the integrator and the operational right. people. But I totally agree with you with the engineers versus the entrepreneurs because I've had a lot of clients come to me because they want to get to that next level of high performance and especially for their business or, or they want to start a business. And for some, I've, I've had about, I would say about 20 to 30 percent about midway through coaching them. They there's always been a side hustle thing that that, that they've always loved that they somebody else's business that they've always had to gotten to have a supporting role in that. They actually have a conversation with me where they're like, I actually don't want to grow my own business. I want to grow this business. And they prefer to, to be in that supporting role. And. I mean, I'm not attached to whether they have their own business or or not, but it really comes down to knowing yourself and knowing if you can manage the responsibility and the risk, and and mm-hmm. everything, like you said about what it takes to really be an entrepreneur.
3: Yeah, I think, but like, even more importantly, you need to build up your skills wherever your weaknesses are. And I I understand why so many businesses fail because people don't understand their numbers. And well, okay. We met at Twenty Robbins. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And I thought what was nice about that is it was pretty well-rounded and okay. They talked about marketing. They talked about um, managing the sales team they talked about um, accounting so many different areas. And so if some, one of those areas are your weaknesses, you should be reading a book and studying about that area. You know, at one point I had a sales team. I've never been a sales manager, so I read a lot of books and listened to a lot of books about being a sales manager. You know, I had to learn sales at one point, so I read a, I learned sales driving back and forth between Minneapolis and Chicago, listening to audiobooks. I swear, <laughs> like so, it's it's um you know there's so everything that you need to know or anything that you need to learn, it's out there. There's books about it. There's YouTube videos. There's so many different resources, podcasts, of course. So it's just putting forth the effort and you know, feeding your brain the right kinds of things. So
2: yeah, yeah, I am lifelong avid learner so and I I completely agree with learning into those areas that you may not feel competent at because that's how you build your confidence in those areas and and anyways
3: yeah absolutely absolutely so that and I know I've heard of some people that will be like oh my accountant's taking care of that or this you know my attorney person well eventually it's going to come back and bite you in the butt at some point or another, believe me. <laughs> so <laughs> you, you, it's important to you know put in the time and you know get the advice, get, get the education on uh, whatever it is that you need to, in order to help yourself, help your business be successful.
2: Yeah. And yeah. lastly, how do you crowd yourself?
3: You know, I'm just all about having fun. So that's probably where like these. You know, all, for me, having fun is flying my plane or working out, even um, taking the dog for a walk. It could be driving around our motorcycles with my husband, um, being with friends. You know, I mean, one of the things, you know, we talked about health earlier before we started this. And one of my focuses and intentions is every day I'm going to do something fun and something that I enjoy. It's not kind of just all be work and then just plop block, block down in front of the TV. I want to be intentional about carving out some time to do something that I enjoy. So it could be shopping, I guess, or it could be just taking a bath, you know, or something relaxing like that. I enjoy working out. I'm one of those weird people. So right. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah. So to me, it's actually a lot of fun. I do classes and there's great music and great people around. So I enjoy doing that sort of thing, but I think we all need to find, um, you know, find that time to have fun and um, not, you know, be so overwhelmed with all the stress because there's a lot of it, especially for those that are running their own business and stuff. There's, you know, there's never enough time to do everything. So it's important in prioritizing your health. You know having that balance because I did the crazy hours and let which led eventually to being burnt out and you know health issues so it's important to have having that balance you always hear people say it I'm like yeah 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 whatever I'll be I'll, I'll find balance someday but if you don't make time for your health now you will have to in the future right so that's my two cents
2: <laughs> so I love that. April, where can we find you? How can we work with you and your amazing nationwide team for those who are looking for love and who are ready to get down into the business of making love?
3: Yeah. Well, anyone can join and be in our network Mm -hmm. by going to LumaSearch.com and Luma stands for luxury matchmaking. So it's L-U-M-A and then search S-E-A-R-C-H.com and just go onto the website, fill out the form, and then you can schedule a time to meet with a matchmaker. And you can either become a client where we're working on your behalf. And, you know, we only take a few clients at a time. It's really one-on-one. It's very much a concierge service. So if you become a client then you know, we're working to find that match for you, or you can just be in our, our database and then you're one of, you know, we have over 30,000 people now in our database that we can consider as matches for our clients. So we can put you in that Rolodex and then if you come up as a match, we'll set you up. Amazing.
2: April, congratulations again on being named one of Inc's 5,000 fastest growing companies. That is huge and all your success. As always, my fellow sovereigns, own your throne, mind your business because your reign is now.
1: I am so excited to connect with you in the next episode. And in the meantime, go out there and create a body, business, and life that rules.